0: Screen grabs, I think, just become a natural resource of connection.
1: Hi, I'm Rachel Anton. And I'm Daisy Rosario, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And that is right, we are once again joined by none other
2: than Daisy, our senior supervising producer. Welcome back. I'm so excited that you're here because I have a burning question that I've been meaning to ask you ever since you started on the show. Is there something on the internet that you just know deep in your core exists but you can no longer find it? No combination of search terms will pull this up for you and it makes you feel a little bit unhinged because you're like, I know it's there!
1: Oh my God, yes. The non specific answer to that is like a number of different tweets in general Mm -hmm. that I saw over the years. I've gotten so much better because I learned the hard way to save and like bookmark certain tweets. And like, you know, on TikTok, I'm always good about saving videos and like downloading them if I can. Mm -hmm. But my God, there are like specific tweets of things that articulated ideas or like used phrases that just hit me in the gut and I cannot Mm -hmm. find them, Mm -hmm. even though I think about them all the time. It's the worst. <laughs> what about you, Rachel?
2: Um same. To the point that I now have, I think, a step beyond the feeling where I'm like, I know that I have something that I've forgotten, but I can't even remember what it is that I've forgotten. So I don't even really know where to start. It's like when you're <laughs> trying to look up a song, but you don't know any of the lyrics. So you're just typing oh, in God. into yes. Google and hoping that it comes out. <laughs> but there is one specific thing that was very relevant today that I was trying to explain to my roommate. And it made me sound like I escaped from an asylum. But <laughs> <laughs> there was this movie that came out a few years ago starring Amanda Stenberg and George McKay um, that is um, described on my timeline as the Nazi swirl movie. Because oh. It's about an interracial oh. relationship between a biracial German girl and a member of the Hitler Youth.
1: Yes, I remember this movie.
2: Yes, it sounds like something out of Fever Dream. But what I remember more specifically is there's this scene where he's talking about how he listens to jazz music. And oh <laughs> the my man God. Was- Describes it in a way that I'm not gonna say on air. <laughs> but I was looking for this video to show my roommate because I was like, I know this makes me sound like unhinged, but I swear to God it exists. And I'm like right. a, a a Hitler youth listening to jazz and a biracial black woman <laughs> saying something, and I couldn't find it. And I was like, I'm not gonna watch the movie.
1: <laughs> so oh my God.
2: Yeah. <laughs> So I ask about the specific experience of knowing something exists but not being able to find it because, A, I kind of think it's a great personality test. I think people should start asking on a first date and let us know how it goes. Yeah. But also because I've said it before, I will say it again, we lose the equivalent of the Library of Alexandria every day (laughs) (laughs) online.
1: Guys, she really does say that every day. (laughs) But it's true. It's just so
2: much is lost to just like yeah. the sands of internet time. And we talked about this a bit with Dr. Meredith E. Clark on our episode about Black Spaces Online. But we lose so much because I think we never really think to save it or because the website hosting it goes bankrupt or because some formerly benevolent billionaire decides to be evil and return to their roots and decide they no longer <laughs> want to pay to host <laughs> Like, a huge repository of information.
1: Right. Or they've, like, bought it to undermine it in general. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's also that the way that we have access to these things seems so simple that it can be hard to remember that it actually just won't be there when you're reaching for it.
2: hmm hmm You don't know what you're going to be looking for in a feverish haze three years down the road and won't be right. able to find it. But if you know where to look and what keywords to input... There are definitely sites that I think persist as snapshots of a specific moment, even if they very much can't give us the whole picture. And one of those sites, which we both love, is none other than Tumblr. On August 8th, Maya Cade, the creator and curator of the Black Film Archive, tweeted There's an essay to be written on the way's Tumblr, and the quest for the perfectly shareable moment from a film changed how people engage with cinema. And I saw that. Hit the retweet button immediately and then was like, we need to talk to her. Bring her on the show. Call her up.
1: Yep. (laughs) So on the show today, we'll be diving into our conversation with her, which started out as a discussion about the relationship between cinema and Tumblr, but turned into a conversation about the importance of the platform as a digital archive. We'll be back with Maya after a short break. And we are back.
2: So I've been a fan of Maya for like a long time. The Black Film Archive that she created is legitimately, I think, one of the most innovative uses of the internet that I've seen in a long time. I feel like I'm very rarely surprised anymore, but the Black Film Archive surprised me in a very delightful way. We're gonna let her explain what exactly it is.
0: It really began during the George Floyd protest and there were all these conversations happening online about what does Black representation mean? And for many people, that became a question of really investigating how <laughs> how movies and television shows and media in general can be, can it accurately represent Black lives? And I knew that there was this whole world that people just were not seeing. And so... I just thought, okay, what if I combined what I what I know into one place, made it accessible for people? Because I think the reality is sometimes film knowledge feels like it's locked and keyed in some <laughs> tower and you can and you climb and you have to fight through all these ideas of what being a cinephile is to get to where you actually want to go. And I was like, what if we just remove that barrier? Like, how can I use my knowledge to remove that barrier? And that is what Black Film Archive is. It's a it's a platform that lists where films are streaming. I, I contextualize each film and tell you what you need to know before you watch it. The other <laughs> reason that Black Film Archive came to be is because I started archiving my family archive. And I really think of the people who are in films as extensions of my family in a way. Like, I think in Black American families protecting the family and protecting the family image is a task for the whole family. And protection doesn't mean erasing the record in the way that I'm seeing it, but it really means ensuring that the contributions of the family members are known, they're celebrated, they're cherished. And I really felt like I could do that with these extended family members, if you will, that didn't have uh, that moment
2: Wow, that
1: I mean, that really is impressive.
2: It really is, and the way she ties in her family. And that's incredible and impressive. But later, she said something that literally made me start dancing in my chair, as you can attest.
0: Yep. Is Black Film Archive possible without Tumblr? I don't think so, right? Like, having the space to curate cinema, to ha- develop my own relationship to it, to find a way to maneuver internet communities to speak to people in the language that exists online, because that has a very specific skill. I don't think Black America could exist.
2: It was really like she just took the overlap of so many of my interests and was like, hey, I have something for you.
1: She like looked deep into your soul and understood all of it. Yes. <laughs>
2: because the curatorial power that Maya is talking about made a lot of sense to me as an active tumblr user i'll say Whoa,
1: yeah i mean <laughs> whoa, totally um i have not been active in a while uh, that's what i'm reacting to because i feel like i'm one of those people that remembers like yahoo buying tumblr and then i was like i'm out you know mm-hmm. but i i have my account it's just not public but when i was on tumblr very frequently i would say that that description really nicely sums up what i loved about tumblr versus pretty much all the other forms of social media
2: yeah, yeah. Maya mentioned in our interview that the way she used Tumblr was feelings guided, which, as a Pisces, really hit me somewhere deep in my soul. Again, she looked into my soul and was like, hello. <laughs> but unlike the kind of algorithmic feeds that we're used to today, Tumblr was a platform that was dictated entirely by your very specific interests and the very specific interests of the people you followed. So many of the fandoms I stumbled into were fandoms that the people I followed were into rather than it being fed to me by an algorithm that at the end of the day is kind of a money making venture more than anything based out of generosity or joy.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that was really special about Tumblr. And also, you know, when I think about like TikTok and YouTube, which I enjoy both a lot, if I just let them autoplay, I end up on some really questionable stuff that I do not want Far too quickly. So that aspect of Tumblr also felt very safe and very personal.
2: It's almost like our blogs were the walls of our teenage bedrooms in that we were kind of cutting and pasting from this fandom over here and this aesthetic over here. Tumblr is a platform really rewarded being so dedicated to a thing, whether it was One Direction or the color purple. I had a friend who was... Deli- like, the color purple wasn't just the color, not the... Not right. the- <laughs> you, do, you do have to specify. Yes, yes. I had a friend who loved the color purple so much. He had a blog dedicated to it. Or, like, Old Hollywood or Super Hulock, that you were willing to find, like, a moment or a gift set or an interview that no one else had before. And in this way, blogs became not just bedroom walls, but archives.
0: Tumblr, in my opinion, is the biggest cultural archive on the internet because people who were using it were, I think, are true archivists. They were excavating from deep corners of the internet, whether it's Black art or archival interviews. I think Tumblr has some of the richest resources still to this day of things that don't exist anywhere else on the internet, not in one place for for certain. And using that as connection points, learning through other blogs about what culture is, what it can be, and what we want it to be.
2: And that sort of excavation, the kind of quest for something special to tape to our walls, brings us to the reason we reached out to Maya, which is this tweet that she sent out on August 9th.
1: There's an essay to be written on the ways Tumblr and the quest for the perfectly shareable moment from a film changed how people engage with cinema as the platform turned 15 this year. And she followed this tweet up with. The Tumblr aestheticization of film reframes performance, context, and the critical discourse to fit the user's intent through photos and screen grabs, and is often an entry point of engaging with movies. It's carried over to how film is discussed on Twitter and deserves analysis.
2: I saw this, and as I said, immediately retweeted it because I wanted to stick it to my bedroom wall because it struck me as so deeply obvious and true that I was like, why does this essay
1: not exist already? it exists in my heart. I love those moments. Those are the tweets I'm looking for when somebody just puts something that I have felt for so long into the exact right words.
2: Yes, and now we're putting it into words on a podcast. Yep.
1: (laughs) Story of my life.
2: (laughs) So along with those tweets, she included a screenshot from the movie City of God, which is a film about organized crime in a Brazilian favela in the 60s and 70s. But the vibe in the movie, isn't necessarily what you expect if you had seen that screenshot.
0: It's one of the first films I remember seeing on Tumblr and being like, this is so cool, like, these people are in love, they're on a beach, and it's a, you know, hangout movie, it's a road trip movie, you know. All these these, these things we impress upon these films before we've seen them. And I think that so many people also have that relationship with, with that film. They see this still and they're like, Oh, it's this, it's that. And and you see the film, and it's a whole different thing. But I think that kind of really encapsulates what I feel about Tumblr and what I feel about screen caps. We are taking a slice of the universe and impressing our feelings on what it can be. Those screen caps have just become a way to maneuver the world and <laughs> and to really put a point to our feelings and it has it has a lot to do with the film yes and at its essence but it also has to do a lot with connection and using uh reframing film to be a connection point
2: as she was saying this i was just thinking in my head about films i've experienced in this very specific tumblr way do you have any
1: yeah i mean okay so The first one that comes to mind is the movie Mississippi Masala, Uh, which mm -hmm. is also a movie that predates Tumblr in and of itself. It's a 1991 Miranair movie, right? And it stars Denzel Washington and Sarita Chowdhury. And it's about their kind of, you know, mixed relationship and all of that. But the screenshots I would see always seemed like this just celebration of their beauty and their being leads at this time, you know, in the early 90s. Like, I think anytime people saw something that seemed progressive, that was from before they were born, it was exciting.
2: I definitely think that's true. And I also can fully pull up those screen grabs in my head right now. Um, Kind of similarly, the one that I remember is Paris Blues, which is a movie that stars Paul Newman and Diane Carroll. And there's this clip from the movie where Diane Carroll is trying to get her bags on a train and Paul Newman comes to her rescue.
1: Mademoiselle attends ici, laissez les bagages. et revenez tout à l'heure. Uh, tout à l'heure. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I think I can manage by myself. Uh, mm-hmm. the...
0: Your girlfriend is pretty as you are?
1: Yes. Yeah. She's a white girl.
0: It might be hard to find. All these white girls look alike.
1: I mean, I, I mean,
2: I just I mean, it fits exactly what you're saying, where it's like when something is progressive from before you were born, you're just yes. like, wait
1: a minute. <laughs> also, it's like probably the thing I wanted to hear most at age 17. In general. I exact, <laughs> No, it is also
2: exactly what I wanted to hear at age 17.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, we end up in these situations where sometimes those viral screen grabs will push us to see the films in question. But sometimes they transform films from entities unto themselves into these communal snapshot experiences. Like, it's no longer just the relationship you have to sitting in a theater or at home watching it or discussing it with friends. Instead, we're all looking at and experiencing the same gifts and screen grabs from films whose plots we could never describe and drawing out our own fresh and new meanings entirely separate from the film in and of itself.
0: Film engaging with it fully requires all of our senses, but I don't want to diminish someone for engaging in film in this way. You know what I mean? I think if this bridges people to seeing the film, I'm ecstatic. I'm not a, I'm not a purist in the sense of like, oh no, you haven't seen this film. I I am someone who really wants people to find entry points into cinema. And this has consistently been one for the past 15 years. We're still talking about the ways that films have been aestheticized from Tumblr.
2: Screen cap culture, as Maya is talking about, is just so much fun. And I think that's what I love the most about this conversation is that I feel like there are definitely film critics who would be like, this is terrible, the youth are not watching films. But Maya (laughs) is just like, anything that gets people invested in this is good. And in a lot of ways, I think it's probably one of the most effective forms of promotion that exists. And we'll, of course, talk about how brands got in on the action later in the episode. But I think one of my favorite things about screen grabs and gift sets is the way that they make you kind of like reconsider a specific moment that you otherwise might not have noticed. Like a lot of them slow down the actual video in a way that just makes you focus.
1: I think about um, screen grabs from, like, music videos for things like that. Like, there were a lot of great ones I would see. It would, like, be, like, little moments from an Aaliyah video Mm -hmm. where maybe because the dance was so intricate, like, you couldn't really see her expression. But now in this, like, gift set, you could really see her expression in that moment that passed in, like, two seconds in the video. I loved that stuff. Yes. I mean, just as we were, of course, having this conversation, or really, honestly, Rachel, from the moment I met you, I have been... (laughs) curious about logging back into my old Tumblr, so (gasps) I did, and it was like a warm and loving visit with a younger Daisy. Oh my God.
2: (laughs) Okay, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'm gonna hear all about what Daisy found when she (laughs) logged back into her Tumblr for the first time in years. She hasn't showed it to me yet, so I'm... (laughs) thrilled to find out what's coming up we'll also get into how tumblr remains one of the strongest cultural archives on the internet not just for daisy but for everybody
1: that's right we'll be right back
2: hi y'all hope you're enjoying today's show if this is your first time listening then welcome we are so happy to have you here in case you missed it That joke gets made every single week, and our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You're listening to the Saturday episode. Wednesday's episode was about three new lifestyle trends taking over TikTok and how they spell a kind of antipathy towards feminism. Yes, that will make sense. Check out the episode. And we're back on
1: Tumblr.com. Daisy, give me the goods. Give me the goods. Oh, my God. Okay, here's the first thing I will say, since we talked about movies so much in this. Mm-hmm. If you looked at my Tumblr and you did not know what the movie Inception was about, you would think that it was only about Tom Hardy <laughs> saying a line and leaning. Like, you literally would think that was the whole movie. Because Wait, I think I know what line it is. Oh, you definitely know what line it is.
0: You mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling.
1: So I mean, so there's that. Um, It also is just interesting to be reminded after the chaos of the last few years. I mean, I don't know about you, my sense of time is like, completely out of sorts in a way that it never really was before. I'm I'm somebody that has like a strong internal clock. But that has just been undone by the last couple of years. So it Mm -hmm. also was an interesting reminder of you know how passionate I've been about certain topics for a long time. How funny it is that I kind of only fully came out, if you will, uh, in the last couple years. Because that girl's mm. Tumblr is gay. <laughs> um, there's also a lot of stuff that I would always say was really important to me. I forgot how much history uh, I would reblog and how many things I learned and deep dives about different people and also just reminders. Like passionate little reminders about things, you know, like little quotes, kind of stuff that you can still get on things like Instagram. But I think, again, because of like it being more about who you chose to follow than the algorithms, they really still just I would say like hit nicer revisiting them Mm -hmm. than maybe some of the things I would find if I like went through my old Instagram likes or something like that.
2: Yeah, and there's also this ability on Tumblr in reblogging it and putting it onto your blog. So like those little quotes that I think in some ways, I also look back to my old Tumblr in this episode, in preparing for this episode, these quotes that still hit me, but I think I would be a little bit too self-conscious to put on my Instagram now.
1: Yeah, I felt like I could be very vulnerable on Tumblr. Yeah, yeah. I mean, partially, I think it's because it was one
2: of the last real platforms you could be anonymous, really. You could show your face and people did, but it still felt like your employer would never find it somehow.
1: When I revisited my Tumblr, I definitely found that I was outlandish in a way that I was less so on Twitter, which Mm -hmm. for me personally had less to do with personality and more to do with the fact that I work in journalism and... You know, I knew that that's what people would find, but it definitely was safer in that way. And also because like you could, you could choose to not have things that you shared, even if their images show up in Google searches. I mean, in fact, like if you're looking for a photo and Google image search like just doesn't turn up anything for you, you could probably find something of what you're looking for on Tumblr, but you'd have to log into Tumblr and search inside of it.
2: Mm hmm. mm -hmm. And if you're doing that, then you're probably part of the community and you're not trying to narc on anybody anyway.
1: Exactly right. Like you are you are some obsessed fan of somebody so specific (laughs) that it doesn't matter because you're like, no, I got that. No, exactly. Exactly. There's
2: just something because of that kind of freedom that Tumblr allows that makes it so easy to locate the specific time and place you were in when you were posting, whether it was the fandom you were really into, the style of clothes you are really into, the music you were listening to, what movie had just came out. And I feel like part of that is because there really was no benefit to being Tumblr famous. Like, you were not going to get a brand deal, not least because a lot of brands would not touch Tumblr with a 10-foot pole. (laughs) And very often you couldn't even see how many followers other people had. There were, I think, blogs that I would see more often on my dashboard or who would have like more notes on their posts usually, but it was kind of largely an equal playing field, which meant there was no real incentive to make your blog anything but what you wanted it to be, which meant it felt a lot more honest than a lot of the other platforms that we engage in now. But what that also means is that I think that the methods of promotion of virality that blew up on Tumblr were legitimately popular. There was no real ghost in the machine making something popular like a Charlie D'Amelio. It was legitimately just, you know, enthusiasm. There was no industry plan. Like screen grabs and gift sets were legitimately powerful propaganda. And <laughs> Tumblr's
0: prime, TCM was on the platform, Criterion was on the platform. Just sharing these screen grabs and also talking in the language of the platform. And by doing so, changed how they related to millennials. And now Gen Z, because they're the largest users (laughs) of the platform. But I think that Tumblr changed what we know as virality. We really could see in real time that virality could shift who and how people engage with media suddenly you can share a screen cap from vampire diaries and it's the most watched thing that evening if you have the right screen cap and that is put that like that is still exist on twitter that is still exist on instagram these 15 second videos that people are making to promote their film exists in that a set of cessation that tumblr developed and like that is mind-blowing <laughs>
1: Yeah, and you can see that popularity in the fact that the language of Tumblr is largely still the language of internet fandom today. I mean, I think that's why it felt so surprisingly fresh to me when I did log in. Like mm. it, it just feels still very current. So much so that when brands are attempting to engineer fandom as a form of promo, they speak largely in that visual language of screenshots and GIF sets that was developed and honed on Tumblr.
0: If you think about the ways that that has touched not only how people see film, but how films are marketed now... Like, if we think of Netflix and a twenty four as marking engines, asceticization in that way is the motor <laughs> that is helping them run, right? But I, I do see how people are concerned because I think if I talk about Netflix again for ex- as an example, their Twitter account so like people are often saying, do they just exist to like find a mo- that moment <laughs> from the show, from the from the film? to just get people to, like just to get people to talk about it
1: Maya even mentioned that some suspect that movies and TV shows begin with that perfect moment now tailoring dialogue and scene settings so that they can engineer a viral moment which is uh oh. you know uh, not maybe not so great um maybe not but i have but... to say like You know, I mean, if if you've ever heard me on a podcast besides this one, it's probably pop culture happy hour. And as someone who's had to see a lot of movies uh, for work, like that feels true, right? Because whether Mm -hmm. we knew it or not, as Maya said, a lot of us were approaching Tumblr from a curatorial perspective rather than an algorithmic or influencer based one. I don't think we quite understand enough just how much the influx of money into the social media world has affected what content gets made and what doesn't some film
2: historian will study this and articulate it in a much better way than I will. (laughs) But the thing about archives is historically because they're happening from the present looking at the past, they don't really care about what capitalism thinks can make a tin movie franchise. They just care about what people care about. And nowhere can you find out what people care about more than on Tumblr.
1: Which quite honestly... All of this only makes it more disappointing that on so many levels, Tumblr is kind of broken. From a platform perspective, Tumblr infamously has some of the worst interface. Yeah. I mean, the search function is really hit or miss. The great porn purge of 2018 destroyed a lot of old Tumblr and that's like a whole aside that we're not even going to yep. get into. But <laughs> it was real and it was legit. And it was a bummer when it was gone. Mm-hmm. Links were broken. Blogs were deleted. Content was erased. And again, that's just from the platform perspective. And from a discourse perspective,
0: my God. Even though I, I talk about Tumblr as this like wonderful, endearing place, like I think a lot of the harmful internet language that I still use was birthed from the over of, of Tumblr at a, a certain point that we can't get away from. So there, you know, as much as I adore Tumblr and I think of it as a, this wonderful legendary place, and it is, I also understand that to dilute uh, psychological terms, for example, and everyday speech <laughs> does more harm than it ever could do good.
2: I just couldn't help thinking at this point in the interview, so true, Queen. So true. But I think... Even the bad parts of Tumblr are important to remember, not least because, I don't know about you, but so many of the arguments that I see play out on Twitter, on TikTok, or on Instagram just feel like Tumblr arguments retreaded on a different platform. I'm just like, why are we having this conversation again? Why?
1: What is happening here? oh my God, as someone uh, a little older than you, I have to say the bummer is that that feeling never stops. Oh God. Um, but I also 100% agree. I mean, that's how I feel scrolling through TikTok a lot. And I really enjoy TikTok. But so much of it feels like I'm watching these talking heads have the same conversations that I read <laughs> on like a series of reblogged long like text posts 10 yep. years ago. I mean,
2: I think the the ending point is that if we had simply learned as much about discourse... <laughs> as we did about (laughs) gift sets from our Tumblr ancestors, we'd be in a much better place collectively.
1: Tumblr lives. (laughs) Tumblr forever.
2: All right, that is the show. We will be back in your feed on Wednesday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss a Tumblr revisiting. It will be happening in the future. Please leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. Tell your Tumblr friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions. And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at Slate.com.
1: ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader and Rachel Hampton. I am our senior supervising producer, Daisy Rosario, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online
2: or on Tumblr. So I asked this question. I've been signed out from fucking Google. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Let me sign back in.